You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a bootcamp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report Podcast. Welcome to the Course Report Podcast, everyone. I'm Jess. It's May 2023, and you may be asking yourself, is this a good time to enroll at a coding bootcamp? Because if you've been paying attention to the headlines, then you will have seen layoffs in a tight job market. But that's not really the whole story. And we're excited to have Jeff Casimir, the executive director of Turing, join today's episode and hear what Jeff is actually seeing on the ground. We'll cover how Jeff views the hiring landscape in 2023, how Turing alumni are faring five years after graduating, and which industries are experiencing undeniable growth right now. So Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Um, why don't you just tell our readers what you're up to as the executive director of Turing School? Yeah. Um, hey, Jess, thanks for having me. And uh, Turing, we are, you know, kind of doing our thing. We're a remote training program, so we live on Zoom, uh, work out of the home office here. And I think as executive director these days, well, I guess if I back way up, like I kind of helped invent these uh developer boot camps back like 10 years ago and mm. then have gone through a couple iterations and, and Turing was my third program in this space. We've been operating now. We're just about to hit nine years and we run three separate programs, a uh, back-end engineering, a front-end engineering, and then uh, our newest program called Launch. And so, yeah, just we've got a team of about 52 people and I try and make sure everybody's headed the right direction to get the best outcomes we can for students. Yeah, so that means that you've been teaching students for nearly a decade to become software engineers. Um, so how is 2023 different from when you started? Yeah, it's actually been two decades because I did kids before adults. Oh. So <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, how is 2023 different? I think it it feels different and not so different as difficult times of the past. Um mm -hmm. You know, whether it was like uh, 2009 or other broader economic downturns, there have been hard times before. I think it's unique or somewhat unique here that the kind of tech industry broadly defined is feeling the pain more than other industries. Usually we're accustomed to feeling it less. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's like downturns and, and disruption is someone else's problem. And for us, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. This time it's kind of our problem and everybody else is like, I don't know what, what you're what your deal is like <laughs> most industries are doing fine and growth is good and you know all kinds of things um unemployment is super low and in tech if it feels like we're really in a pinch yeah because that's what i was thinking too the headlines are making it seem like tech is shrinking but the job market in 2023 is way more nuanced than just like the big headlines make it out to be um so at turing are you seeing that tech is not shrinking or are, are you agreeing with the headlines? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be really difficult to tell a plausible story of the industry shrinking per se. Uh, of course, 
yeah, a lot of companies have gone through layoffs, sometimes uh, more than one round of layoffs and so forth, which is is really hard. When you look at the overall numbers, most of those companies are returning to the staff levels that they were at in 2020. And so it's not like, oh, half the company was cut and, you know, it's like unimaginable. Um, it's really kind of like a, a correction in the market. But then I think it starts to get interesting when you look at tech jobs versus the tech industry. And when we think of like the big tech companies, they are the ones who have been going through layoffs. But there are so many companies, like nearly every, if you were to go through the, you know, Fortune 1000 companies, mm-hmm. pretty much every one of them has software engineering teams. And so even if they're not maybe a tech company as their primary business, they have technical teams, they hire software developers, and most of those companies are either stable or growing. And so, you know, when you look at like really the whole pie of software development jobs, there are more software development jobs today than there have been at any point in the past. And that number just continues to grow. Yeah, that's well said. Liz and I were just reading an article that explained that um, Meta has announced a workforce reduction of 11,000, but in December 2019, Meta had 45,000 employees. And just prior to November 2022, um, Meta had 87,000 employees. So following the layoffs, Meta will still have 69% more employees than it did three years ago. And that's, that's basically what you're saying as well with companies. So Jeff, in this year's turbulent tech job market, are Turing grads getting hired? They are. And, you know, I'm a a low bullshit kind of person. So Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I will say that the hiring market for new grads is harder right now than it's been at least the last couple of years. I think it is hard. Uncertainty is not good for markets. And so if you're trying to enter the market as a new software developer, uh, you want there to be enthusiasm and exuberance in the market. You don't want worry and uncertainty. And so in the space that new grads find themselves in right now is it's not so much that, you know, I think there are sometimes fears of like, well, mid-level engineers are getting laid off. So then they're taking junior jobs at some other place. That's not really happening at any significant scale. What happens is when a company does lay people off, they're not generally going to turn around and immediately hire people new to the industry who maybe need a little bit more guidance, a little bit more coaching, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. They're going to try and just sit tight. So then companies who don't lay people off, who are continuing to grow and succeed, they do now have the opportunity to hire maybe from a deeper pool of talent than they did a year ago. And so, yes, they're obviously going to hire people with a couple of years experience before they hire people with zero years experience. And I mean, part of the reality, the whole reason like this boot camp thing worked in the first place is because there was a lot of desperation in the market. Like employers were so desperate to hire software developers that they were willing to take on people who didn't have workplace experience, mm-hmm. you know, or didn't have significant workplace experience. As that desperation goes down, that means the you know availability of positions for people new to the industry also goes down. I don't think that will last very long. Like it's not, 
what we're really experiencing is like a reshuffling of talent. I don't see like broader, you know, when you look at like 2009 and the economy was massively disrupted by uh, the housing crisis and subprime loans and all that kind of stuff. I don't see in the broad economy triggers that create that kind of multi-dimensional panic. And so as long as the uncertainty is confined to the tech industry, then all the other industries seem pretty much fine. And that's the place where I would go hunt for jobs. Like if you want a job today, you shouldn't be paying any attention to Facebook or Google or whomever. You should be looking at like, the GEs of the world, the solar energy company that's operating in your state, um, you know, manufacturing, healthcare, like all these different spaces that are doing just fine, continue to grow and have growing software teams. Yeah, I like that term reshuffling when we're thinking about these recent layoffs and just how everyone is sort of being reshuffled to these other companies, not just the big tech companies. With that in mind, and thinking about recent Turing grads, what types of companies and industries are you seeing them get jobs at? Yeah, I think it is a time to take a job that sets you up for the job you really want. Right? Um, I talked to uh, an alum yesterday who was five weeks into her job as a contractor at Department of Defense. And she was saying, you know, I kind of have some qualms about being involved in defense, like this isn't exactly Mm -hmm. what I set out to do. And also what I'm really building here is just the experience on my resume. You know, we have talked over the years about um, what Elisa Turing, we call this idea of like an experience gap, where it's not that grads don't have the skills to do mid-level jobs, they just don't have the experience on the resume. And if you can in, in this environment, if you can get into a role where you're doing software development work and you can pile up a year, 18 months on your resume, then in 2024, 2025, you're going to have a lot of options of fields you can work in, industries you can work in, companies you can work for, et cetera. Right now is a little bit more of like, take what you can get. Mm-hmm. And not, not in the sense of, you know, I never want to see someone be in a job that they hate or be in some place that they find morally objectionable or they're totally mistreated, right? But the reality, almost all software jobs in the scope of employment in America, almost all software jobs are pretty good, somewhere between pretty good and like amazing jobs. And so if you can find your way into a pretty good one for now, it's a good spot to like weather the storm build up a year, year and a half experience. And so I would say the places, you know, that we see grads getting jobs now are not the sexiest companies, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing like corporate insurance. They're doing, um, yeah, things like defense and government work, um, manufacturing, green energy. I think green energy is pretty cool. I was going to say green energy. (laughs) Green energy is pretty cool. Um, There are spaces where it's not, it's not the most obvious 20 tech companies. Like, don't bother going down that road. And then maybe we'll get into this later, but the thing I, I preach over and over when you're talking about job hunting is like, you want to get into the smallest pool possible. Yeah. You don't want to be one of 500 applicants for a job. And any company that today, regardless of industry, any company that's advertising 
a junior software engineering job is getting at least 100 applicants a day. That is a huge problem for them because now you have to somehow equitably uh, go through 500 applicants a week and no one really wants to do that. So then that disincentivizes them from advertising the job in the first place or it incentivizes them to just advertise like mid-level or senior level jobs, get a couple dozen applicants and see if someone in there is actually a fit for a junior job, if that makes sense. Like in 2023, I don't think it's almost um, <laughs> maybe irresponsible is, is too harsh, but it's like you're really making a hard time for yourself if you advertise a junior software development job. And so if you want to get one, you cannot rely on just looking at job listings. Um, so I have to ask you, what makes now this current moment a great time to enroll? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. If, we're, if we're thinking about someone who's like starting at Turing, like in this upcoming cohort, graduating in about six months, like, are you feeling like the job market and the economy is going to be different in that when yeah. they're graduating? I think Yes. Um, I am not reading a crystal ball. You know, when you talk about investing, for instance, it's always like buy low and sell high. And, and people, you know, in abstract, that kind of advice makes sense. But then when it's you and you're like, should I buy this thing that's in the gutter right now? That sounds terrible. And then if you buy it and it turns around, you look like a genius. If you buy it and it stays in the gutter, you look like a moron. Um, and so... I think it's fair to say that entry-level tech hiring right now is in a bad spot. It is in a low spot. Is it the time to buy anyway? Um, I think for us with Turing, you know, our programs are between seven and 10 months long. And so now being, as you said, May 2023, we're, people who enroll today are graduating in early 2024. I do feel that by 2024, this time will be a pretty distant memory mm. um, that there will have been a, a significant rebound, regrowth, uh, in, infusion of enthusiasm like in the market. Um, and also, I, I will acknowledge there are some people I was just talking to a friend yesterday who's like, I don't know, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I, I, I just don't see any indicators of that. And mm -hmm. one of the you know, the very nerdy things, I guess, about it is the Fed and the interest rates, where the Federal Reserve's interest rates is, is the tool that they use to cool inflation. They've been raising the interest rates, which is what caused instability in banks like Silicon Valley Bank. It's what caused um, instability in tech investment, which then mm -hmm. led to all these companies laying people off. And so really, like, even though it doesn't necessarily seem connected, the, in my opinion, the Fed's manipulation of interest rates is what has intentionally caused all this uncertainty. Hmm. When they most recently raised them again for like a record 15th time or something, there are indications. Now, they don't make promises, but there are indications and thought that that will probably be the last one. Um, there was also some economic data that came out this week that showed like inflation year over year was lower than it was expected to be. And so to me, those early economic system indicators are saying like, okay, we've probably reached the, this is the most pressure that is being 
pushed on the brakes, really. And, th- and that's what the Fed was doing, right? They use interest rates as the brake pedal for the economy of like the economy's growing too fast. Mm-hmm. It's inflation is coming too fast. So we raise interest rates, apply the brakes, slow things down. Um, that succeeded. Now they don't, it doesn't seem like they have incentive to keep raising interest rates. If interest rates are stable, then you have more stable banking, investment, economies. If you have stable investment, now you have more speculative investment, which then goes into these tech companies, goes into other industries um, that are trying to grow. And now you have a good tech job market. And it doesn't take that long for those things to trickle through. I I think on the scale of like six months, like by the fall of 2023, I expect things to be kind of back to at least a different normal, a better normal. That's my hypothesis. (laughs) Thanks for breaking that down. I mean, there's been so many variables in what's been going on the past um, few months and even the past few years since COVID really started. Um, So we are in May. We are looking towards high school graduation season, which is going to be in June. Um, If we're thinking about all these recent high school grads from 2023, do you feel like this is a good time for those people to consider enrolling at Turing rather than looking to a college program? You know, I mentioned earlier, I used to teach kids. I taught high school and middle school. And, and it was a big point of pride at that time that 100% of our high school graduates got admitted to college. And it didn't take that long to figure out that only 23% of them graduated. And the remaining 77%, what happens? What's the story for them, right? And for kids that go to college and end up not finishing, I would argue that they're worse off than if they never went. Uh, and I'm glad that over the last 10, 15 years, the kind of K-12 industry and governmental and charitable organizations and so forth are becoming a little more connected to reality around college. And like college for an 18-year-old I think college is an amazing way to learn some things, to grow up, to make some friends. College has never been a very good way to get a job. And except for in some specialized fields, but the majority of fields, when you graduate, they do not naturally transition to a job. I remember like one one of these conversations I'll never forget, myself even doing a computer engineering degree. Uh, the spring of my senior year, we were having a conversation with one of our professors and a a classmate asked, if you were us, what kind of job would you be looking for? And he said, well, in my opinion, the only job you're really qualified for is grad student. (laughs) And that was the moment where honestly, I was like, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'd rather go teach middle school and high school than, than be in this machine anymore. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think the challenge with with the typical college trajectory is the ROI. Like, what is the return on the investment? For each dollar you're going to put in, what are you going to get out? It's not, except for in some niche circumstances, the ROI is not good. And if your goal is to build a career then you're better off going to electrician school, plumbing school, truck driving school, coming to Turing, like almost anything that teaches you and prepares you for a trade that itself can become a career is much, has a much bigger economic impact on 
your life than going to college. Uh, the typical college degree, you know, uh, if you look at the, like, whatever, Google random stats off the internet, it says that in America, the typical college grad earns $700,000 a year more than if they didn't go to college. And that's $700,000. I think all of us would say like, yes, I would like $700,000. If you keep digging and see that the typical um, American is spending somewhere around 80000 on that college degree, plus they're not working for four or five years, if you took you know, just kind of a middle low wage job where you're earning $30,000 a year for four years, that's an extra 120,000 you're not earning for those four years, plus the 80,000 that you paid in tuition. So you're putting in 200,000 to get out 700,000, like a 3.5 X return is not that great. When we're talking about career earnings, you know, uh, I just did a data study looking at Turing grads, what happens five years down the road. And what the data shows is that for every, uh, where like if they had gone, if, if they spent the same dollars on a college degree, they put in $1, they would get out uh, about $7. If they come to Turing, they put in $1, they get out $220. Wow. And it's just like, I, I'm not saying Turing's not the only place you can get like those kinds of multiples. There are lots of different careers where you can earn good money based on, on the dollars and the time that you put in college is not good for that. And so if you want a place to grow up, have fun, learn some interesting stuff, learn some life lessons, et cetera, college is awesome. If you're trying to launch a career, I don't think college is a good way to do it. So it would be a missed opportunity not to ask you about AI, Jeff. Um, you know, this is such a rapidly changing world. AI is expanding so quickly. So I'd just like to know, like, how is Turing ensuring that students graduate with the skills they're going to need to launch successful tech careers now? I was thinking about this yesterday. And, and you know, I, I think anything we say about AI now will be foolish a few years from now. Like, whether we think it's big or think it's small or just everything will look stupid three or five years from now. But it does make it does remind me in some way of not so long ago, five years ago, right? The discussion around like cryptocurrency and NFTs and so forth. And it was like, if you're not doing crypto and NFTs, you're stupid. Like the whole economy is going this way. And I think now in 2023, it's a lot more like, well, maybe it's kind of like a niche thing that maybe wasn't as important as we thought it was going to be. And then you fast forward two years and you get to like the metaverse. Everybody's got to be in the metaverse. Claim your territory in the metaverse. And it's like, I think they just laid off the metaverse. I think the metaverse got like unplugged. <laughs> I never cared about it to pay any attention. And so is AI the same? I don't think so. I think AI is more important than either of those kinds of um, trends of the moment. And when we look across human history, there are many instances where we feared innovation removing the need for humans. The previous industrial revolutions, that didn't exactly prove out. It's not that once we had tractors, we didn't need farmers anymore. It's that we needed fewer farmers, but there were also all these other jobs created along the way. Right? Mm -hmm. Someone has to be the tractor mechanic, the tractor salesman, uh, run fuel for the tractor, all kinds of things that didn't exist when you just had human labor. And 
so I, I think if we're if we're not paying attention to AI, then that's really just sticking your head in the sand. It, it's a very bad idea. The question needs to be, how can I leverage AI to do especially the things I don't want to do? Mm. Or, you know, what I love it for, I, I was um, in a space where I was talking with people who do fundraising. And they were kind of laughing about AI, like, oh, that doesn't matter to us, you know? And I was like, well, have you ever written a grant application where there's a question and it says, respond to this in 500 words? And then the next week you do a similar application, similar question, but it says 300 words. Take your 500 word writing, put it in chat GPT and say, can you summarize this in 300 words? And boom, it's done. And it's like, that's a force multiplier that allows you to do your job better and faster. And Mm -hmm. like, take away some of the drudgery. I think that's really what the near future is for AI is like, how do you leverage it to do parts of your job that you don't want to do? Whether it's programming or it's copywriting or making podcasts, I don't know. Like, it is pretty amazing how these tools can give you something to react against. And and I think we rarely see whether it's art or it's text or what have you, you don't, you don't see AI right now generating amazing finished products, but it does generate 75% product. And then you can go in there and like, Oh, I wouldn't say it like that. I want to, well, that's not quite right. But da, 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 right. Versus staring at a blank page and saying like, Oh, I got to write a cover letter for this job. What do I even write in a cover letter? Mm-hmm. Now taking that job description and feeding it into Chat GPT and saying, like, can you write me a four-paragraph uh cover letter for this job? It spits out a cover letter that's probably not going to win you the job, but it gives you a place to start. And like editing and reacting is so much more natural than starting with a blank page is hard for everybody, even if you have a lot of confidence and experience in that space. Mm-hmm. And so I think using these tools to like be our uh, interlocutor, like the person that we converse with to get to the good ideas, that's really, really powerful. And then the last, the other thing I'll say, sorry that, you know, no my answers are long. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in for teaching and learning is what if AI can do the jobs that humans don't have the patience for? And especially around like, what what does it look like to get mentoring out of an AI? I think there's some really good possibilities in here. For instance, when you uh, feed a chunk of code into a chat GPT and say like, this is in Ruby, how would this get written in JavaScript? And then boom, it's just going to output it in JavaScript, right? Or uh, if how could I take this big chunk of JavaScript and break it into three methods or three functions? It's going to output something. Now, is it going to be right? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But at least there's like some, it's it's providing, it's fulfilling this need to have someone to talk with. And I think there's something beautiful about like, for the most part, unless it goes really haywire, it's not judging you, right? And you can ask all the dumb questions to AI and it's not like, stop bothering me. My CPU cycles are too valuable. It'll just dutifully answer the same question you asked last week or the same question you asked 10 minutes ago or whatever. Um, And so I think learners, in my opinion, should be really excited about these tools because it's going to help you learn faster, learn better, work smarter in the future. I really, really doubt 
that five years from now, there's like fewer software engineering roles because there's so much AI. I think it will be the case that software engineers will be expected to do more, just like a farmer driving their tractor is expected to cover more land Mm. than someone working with hand tools. But that doesn't mean there isn't a job to be done. So Jeff, have you had to iterate the careers program at Turing at all just to make sure that students are, are getting that like support they need to launch a career at a time like this? Yeah, I think we're always iterating the careers program, but um, you know, it, it's in a way, I think of it as, as hard to tell when you're in a good environment, when you're in a good hiring environment, you don't know how well your career support is working because pretty much whatever you do, if it's like reasonably engaged, reasonably good, it's going to have good results. Mm -hmm. And so now it feels like kind of the pressure's on over the last, especially six, nine months, I would say. Um, And that has led us to say like, ah, you know, I think this part is not working that great. I think this part is not working that great. And to to realign, we've moved some of our staff position around because uh, we really wanted the... Uh, professional skills development and, and career development to be more tightly integrated with the technical classwork. And so instead of having like a separate career support team, we took those folks and we uh, wove them right into the instructional teams. And I think it's making progress. I, th- I think it's looking good, you know, for the future. Um, but the short answer is like, it's it's hard to get a junior job in software right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it takes... Extra engagement, I would say, is like the number one thing, even more so than technical skill. Um, But like the engagement in the process, showing up, doing the right things, making smart choices, kind of putting your best foot forward on a day after day basis until it works. And then people are finding jobs. So, um, yeah, we continue to change around a little bit of what we're doing, spend more time on, uh, you know, how what does cold outreach really mean? Because if you're just emailing like Turing alums, that's not cold outreach, in my opinion, right? Like, how do you actually reach out to people who are distant outside the network and say like, hey, here's my deal. Here's what I know about you. Like, I'd like to learn more about what your company's doing, da, 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 and try and dig up your own job. Hmm. So that's what we're working on. And you mentioned earlier this five-year report. Um, Have you found that Turing alumni have continued to like climb the tech career ladder since graduating? Yeah. And, you know, it really started with a conversation I had with um, with one of our funders, a grant funder, uh, like a year and a half ago. And we were talking about outcomes and, and she really challenged me to prove it with data. Um, and it was like our sixth priority down the list, to be honest, you know, like we had all kinds of other stuff to deal with and going on. And eventually I got mad and I was like, OK, I'm going to go find out what what the data really says about people five years down the road. Um, So we put together a census, we called it, and sent it out to all of our 20s, all our students who came to Turing in 2017. So they graduated somewhere between end of 2017 and middle of 2018. And then we got the data back, started crunching the numbers. And, you know, I was just like crying. I was just trying to (laughs) do spreadsheets. And I'm like, this is so amazing. I can't believe what they've done for themselves. Um, And so it's just really wonderful to see. And I think 
most of us in the field kind of know implicitly that pe- people are not dead ending in these careers, right? It's not like you go through training and, and you get a junior developer job and then six years later, you're still a junior developer. Mm-hmm. Um, the growth path is so steep. And so what saw in, in this five-year data was like the most common job title was senior software engineer, right? That the uh, salaries, the median salary after graduation had been uh, like for that group, I think it was 78,000. And then now five years later, it's about 160,000. Wow. And it's like, damn, they started with some good numbers. And in five years, they've doubled it. Like, what does that mean? How far can you take it? Five years from now, will they double it again? Like, well, you know, I I don't know. We can't say what the growth rate exactly looks like. But then you start to project out like, okay, these folks, the median person when they graduated was 30 years old. So um, according to, you know, Social Security stats and so forth, not Social Security, but like retirement stats, Mm -hmm. um, the average American is going to work till they're 61. So if these people work for a total of 31 years in tech, what does that mean for salary? And so you start to try and project that out and say, okay, uh, they've been showing, they've been getting like 10 to 12, 14% raises per year, but let's put like a way more conservative projection on it. Let's say they just get 5% raises per year. And then what does that mean over time? How do you average that out? And then kind of roll it all up to try and say, what was the training they received worth? Like, what did they get because they came to Turing? And so you end up with this final number that's $5,300,000 that they earned above what they would have earned in their own old job. And that, I mean, even now, just talking about it, like, gives me goosebumps. Like, how how can that be? Is, like, for real? (laughs) You know, just spent, and and Turing's not a cheap program, right? Where our tuition's generally $25,000. And so now you can draw this really clear through line that says you invest $25,000. The average grad pays that investment off in less than two years. And then when you project it out across a career, you turn that 25,000 into 5.3 million. That's uh, every $1 spent on a student becomes $220 in lifetime earnings. You know, and it's just like, damn, that compared to, you know, like college is, uh, we were saying earlier, like $1 turns into seven, you know, now it's like one dollar turns into two hundred and twenty. Like, uh, seems like this is good for people. Yeah, and when we're thinking about these Turing grads, clearly you have the numbers here. They're doing really well after graduation. What do you feel like is setting them apart from other candidates that are in those same job pools? Yeah, it's tough. You know, in, in some way, like I don't, I don't think you have to push other people down to be mm-hmm. great. So I hope that as this industry continues to grow and so forth, that there's room for like everybody to be great. And I want people from every training program to get out there and like succeed and realize these, these economic dreams. So I think more than setting apart, I think of just like what sets them up for success. And, you know, what, what we know is the transferable skills role to role are the people skills are, are the professional skills. Like as you become a senior software engineer, as you become a team lead or a director of engineering and so forth, it's not your knowledge of Ruby methods or JavaScript functions or whatever that's going to really differentiate you. It's how do you work? How do you work with other people? How do you get the best of, out of the people around you? And how do you help them do their best work? And if you have those things, 
which I think is is possible for so many people, then if you have those things, you're going to continue to like march up and up and up in the, in the ladder. So at this time is Turing offering any kind of scholarships or like discounted tuition to just help continue diversifying the tech pipeline? I know that's such an initiative for so many right now. Yeah, I think we always are trying to work at making Turing cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my old board members used to challenge me and say, like, tell me a story of how Turing becomes free. And I think Turing today is more free than it's ever been in the past. So, you know, if you if you look on a long enough timeline, Turing has always been free because you put the money in, you get the money back. Right. And so how do you make that timeline where it's been historically like 18 months, 19 months where someone breaks even? How do you get it down to 12 months? How do you get it down to six months? How do you get it down to three months? Um, some things we're excited about intuition. You know, we have good private lending partners that we've been working with, primarily Sally May um, for the last couple of years. And uh, most students, most applicants can access those funds. So even when somebody looks at it and says like, oh, $25,000, I could never afford that. It's like, yeah, most people, most students could not just write a check for 25,000. That's part of the point of this whole enterprise. Um, Instead, like you can borrow it and pay it back pretty quickly and not pay a a tremendous amount of interest or anything. Um, So then, yeah, we do use scholarships. We have scholarships uh, available for people marginalized in tech. Um, And there's a couple of those like each class and and they pile up over the year. And then one of the things we're real excited lately is working with. So, you know, we're we're national, but Colorado is still our home, if you will. Um, And we worked with the Colorado workforce offices to get funding for students to help offset cost of tuition. And so some of that is coming through like COVID relief money and other uh, like worker displacement funding and so forth. Uh, So we sent in, I think, 12 or 14 students uh, for this current cohort, this May cohort. We sent them 14 students. The students did an interview process that was about 30 to 45 minutes. And then the workforce office was like, okay, you uh, for you, we've got 13500 For you, we've got 19500 based on their <laughs> circumstances and all these kinds of things. And everybody, all of them, the minimum they got was 13500 So awesome. like they got a 50% discount off their tuition. And I was talking to you know this young lady who got 19500 and she was just in tears. And it's like, I... I was so excited before and now I'm even more excited, right? Because this payoff timeline is now two months, 45 days or whatever. After she gets her job, she's ahead of where she would have been uh, without the training, without the support and all those pieces. So, you know, there, and and while that's a Colorado story, those stories exist in a lot of states, whether it's, you know, hopefully Turing or other training programs, like states have a lot of money right now. Uh, The federal government has been, Uh, supporting states with a lot of recovery money, even though it feels like we're kind of late in the COVID game in terms of government speed, there's still a lot of money piled up there. And so I would say people for wherever they are, whatever training program they're pursuing, like you really got to look into the, that state money because to you, it's free, you know, (laughs) there's no payback. You just go through the process, fill out some forms and then boom, like your tuition might be dramatically reduced. Uh, And so I think that, That'll be a bigger factor for the future than any scholarships we can provide or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of drum up the fundraising for. And then we're on the cusp. I can't, I can't 
say yet, but we're on the cusp of some really exciting things with uh, financial aid and um, student financial access that we hope we hope is going to be real here in the next three to six months. We've been working on this project for six years, seven wow. years, and it's like you can almost see the finish line. So hopefully that'll be the next interview. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love um, that point about workforce development that, you know, just check into your state to see if you could get any um, grant money to put towards a Turing tuition. Um, obviously, you have already the inroads there with Colorado, but maybe there are other states too that students can look yeah. at. And, and I think, you know, sometimes those qualification processes are hard for the, for the training program. Like, um, you know, somebody's like, oh, I'm in Oklahoma and they could give me mm-hmm. this money. We'll, we'll try and fill out the forms that we need to do to be an eligible training provider and so forth. And um, there's, there can be some process to it, you know, but also my experience lately talking to those workforce offices, because unemployment is so low, they're in this weird position where they have all this money but they don't have anyone asking for it. Um, like there aren't a lot of people coming to the workforce office and saying like, hey, can you help me out? Because folks are getting $22, $24 an hour, like uh, working you know, jobs that don't have great growth, growth curves. Mm-hmm. So the people at the workforce office are probably going to be excited. They're not like super overtaxed and you're going to wait in line six hours. Like when I was at the office the other day, it was literally, we were waiting, hoping someone would show up. And then someone, one person came in and it was like, Ooh, let's all go help them. You know, like (laughs) it's not the DMV is really, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like the anti DMV. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'd love to know, you know, thinking about Turing students who are coming in um, this year for new cohorts, what's your advice to them on like making the most of their time in the program? Like, do you find that there are like certain behaviors of your successful Turing students that help them land that job right after boot camp? Yeah, I think one constant over these 10 years or whatever is that the most successful students are the most engaged students and engaged in the, in the sense of like the network, the ones who are pulling the cohort together, who are showing up for stuff. And it's, you know, there used to be maybe more debate, maybe it still exists and I just don't pay any attention. But when you talk about programming, like, Oh, I could just read it from book. I could just watch YouTube videos. I could just Google all these questions. And it's like, yeah, the programming isn't, I don't know. It's not the most valuable part. Um, And so if you're just going to show up to a training program and like extract from it, the programming knowledge, you're really missing out on the majority of the benefit. Right. And so it's why I continue to believe in like a cohort based model. I think the most successful training programs in the space generally all use like cohort based models. Working with people prepares you to work with people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the more time and energy that you're able to devote to like getting the most out of that group, putting the most into it, then that plays out in the job hunt. And you have, you know, practice with how to exercise a network, practice with how to discuss these difficult technical topics and all that kind of stuff. And then it gets you a job. And then you're in the job and working with people is the hardest and the most important part. Um, And so I guess that's kind of what I just say. Maybe it sounds like I say the same thing over and over, but it's like, it's the people, it's the, it's the people that you work with. It's the people that you're going to work with. That's what's really going to influence your success more than anything else. And so I think 
when people say like, what can I do to be successful? It's not like, oh, make flashcards of these innumerable methods to make sure you have those nailed down. It's figure out how you can work with somebody every day, figure out how you can push and connect with people in a class above you and a class below you in the, for us, you know, we have multiple programs. How do you connect with somebody in a different program and be willing to, to be just a little bit awkward, right? And mm-hmm. say like, hey, I want to just like collaborate. Can uh, anybody, could I pitch in on someone else's project and like just spend an hour kind of looking over your shoulder and seeing what you're working on and asking questions and so forth? And people are like, sure, you have time for that? And you're like, yeah, I'll make time, right? Um, but how do you find those spaces where you can like collaborate, learn what other people are doing, learn what other people are thinking, uh, and then pull that into what you're trying to do? You know, I love that because it's it's a reminder that sure it's tech, which we think so much about, you know, technical skills, um, computers, math, logic, all those things, but really tech is still superhuman. And whether you're a total coding newbie or someone who's been in the field for a long time, bringing that humanness to it is how to be successful. Yeah. And and I think that is why this works, you know, mm-hmm. is because people are able to reappropriate all those people skills from like a first career, Mm. right? And so part of why so many folks coming through these programs can learn the technical skills and then thrive in the job is because they spent three years in a first career. They spent eight years in a first career. And really what you're doing is taking those technical skills and they're almost like new window dressing on the you that already existed. You're not, you're really, really not starting over. And I think even if you're at the younger uh, end of the spectrum, like that can still be true. You're, you're not coming into a boot camp and like, I'm a blank slate. Let me figure out what to fill it up with all these weird technical things. Like, no, you're already a person who can be 80, 90% of the way to being a successful software developer. You just need to practice it. You just need to reappropriate those skills in a slightly different way. Well, that's a perfect place to wrap up this discussion. Thanks so much, Jeff, for joining me and taking all of my questions head on. You've given us so many good insights on this. So we're going to be posting a transcript of this interview on the Course Report blog with contact information for Turing, just in case you're interested in applying for any of their upcoming cohorts. And thank you so much to all of you for listening Um, You can tweet at us, email us, and let us know which topic you'd like us to cover next on the Course Report blog. And in the meantime, follow Course Report on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're a bootcamp alumni, don't forget to post a review of your bootcamp experience on Course Report. Your review is a huge help to anyone thinking of getting into tech today.